Hello. Welcome to the Economics Explained podcast. I'm your host, Gene Tunney. One of the trends we've seen globally is increasing urbanisation. In 2007, the share of the world's population living in urban areas reached 50%. It is now 55%. By 2050, the UN projects it will be 68%. Greater urbanisation means higher density living arrangements in many cases. All over the world, we are seeing an increase in urban density as inner cities accommodate new residents who want to live closer to economic and social opportunities. We've seen some extraordinary transformations of former industrial and commercial areas into areas where people now want to live. The King's Cross redevelopment in London and the urban regeneration of Tenerife in Brisbane are good examples. People are increasingly living in apartment blocks and townhouses. The 2016 Australian Census revealed one in ten Australians now live in apartments. What is behind the increasing popularity of apartment living? How can we ensure the community benefits from the trend toward apartment living? What are the economic issues for new apartment residents to be aware of? These questions motivated the discussion I had on the 20th of September with Dr Stephen Thornton, Director of BG Economics. Stephen is an expert on the economics of apartments. He has done some interesting work on the economic benefits of pets in apartments for Mars. He presented this work alongside Dr Chris Brown, the Bondi vet, at Queensland Parliament House in 2016. We discussed this work of uh, Stephen's toward the end of our conversation. I hope you enjoy it. Stephen Thornton, welcome to the podcast. Thanks very much, Gene. Thanks for having me. Very good. Today, Stephen, I'd like to chat with you about apartment living. So one of the trends we've seen worldwide is an increase in the number of people living in apartments. And I'd like to understand the economic factors associated with that. I think there are some really interesting economic and social uh, factors uh, behind the rise in apartment living. Would you be able to start by explaining some of those economic and social factors, please? Sure. Well, I guess the first thing to say is that in um, countries such as Australia and a lot of the um, advanced countries throughout the world, for example, um, Japan, we have the phenomenon of a uh, ageing population. So I think that's the first thing. In regards to uh, ageing populations and uh, housing, that brings about its own set of uh, challenges. So as people age, um, if they're living in uh, detached dwellings in um, suburbs and perhaps the uh, husband has uh, passed away and the uh, lady of the house is there and she needs to uh, obviously uh, maintain the gardens, etc., etc. well... Um, as you get older, you increasingly can't do that yourself. So you either have to pay for someone to do that, which obviously is a uh, cost to the household budget, or you move into 
um, a smaller place or into a uh, retirement village. So increasingly people are opting to move out of detached dwellings at an earlier age and they're moving into apartments and then eventually quite a few people will then move into uh, retirement villages. So that's the first thing. Second thing is increasing urbanisation. So that's going to increase and there's a few reasons for that. Technology on farms etc has meant that um, they require uh, fewer uh, employees etc. So and on the flip side of that we're seeing the rise of what you might call the professional class. So you know um, more uh, white collar workers, more professionals, those there are employment uh, spaces tend to be more um, urbanised in the city. So you've got that. Obviously, we have uh, smaller families these days. I think uh, the average household size is about 2.5, 2.6 persons. And of course, in regards to apartment living, a lot of people like to live next to uh, or near uh, transport hubs. So in order to get to work quickly, that also can decrease costs if you want to use the public transport system, you know, apartments, etc. Uh, buildings are often located close to those sort of transport hubs. So I think those are the kind of um, things that are driving the uh, move to uh, de- uh, attached uh, dwellings, being apartments, townhouses, etc. Very good. Now, in terms of the social factors, I think you gave some good economic factors there, and you mentioned the the demographics, you mentioned uh, the ageing of the population. What about rates of marriage and family formation? They've dropped, I think. Is that, that is that one of the things that's happening? Certainly. I mean, I think that we can see that certainly there is a quite a significant increase in the number or the uh, proportion of people living alone. So Mm. the increase of the uh, lone person household, people are generally getting married later, they're having fewer children. So yeah, there's, you know, those kind of things are, um, have, have, have changed the structure of society and that therefore is is meaning that they are now living in different types of dwellings. Now, the dwellings that they're increasingly living in, they're living in apartment buildings or townhouses. Now, from an economic perspective, I think there there are some very interesting issues associated with uh, you know apartments and and townhouses. So often, governments and councils will at different times they'll either try to promote that type of living, the urban infill, or other times they will try to discourage it because they think it's destroying the character of suburbs. What are your views on whether governments should be do or local governments should be doing that sort of thing? How can we assess those types of policies? I think the thing to consider is from a uh, government perspective is what does the population want 
certainly there will be a lot of people who who still want to uh, live in the um, detached suburban dwelling, but increasingly people people are preferring to live in attached apartments. So I, I think in regards to attached apartments, uh, apartment buildings, the uh, governments, uh, that's, for example, in uh, Brisbane, the Brisbane City Council and the Queensland Government also need to look at the uh, infrastructure around that. But really they need to be taking account of what what people want and and also yes taking into account that but also taking into account what is the best way to structure say a city like a growing city like brisbane and usually it makes more more sense to build up rather than build out Mm. Stephen, what are the economic benefits of higher density living? Well, Gene, from a government perspective, obviously having uh, a lot more people live in apartment uh, buildings um, closer to the centre of the city um, or or to uh, uh, city centres means that you're creating a lot more density there. And what that means is, is that governments don't have to spend as much on um, infrastructure um, trying to uh, service urban sprawl, which can be quite expensive. So I think that from a government perspective, it certainly makes, makes sense to promote apartment living. Of course, you will always have some urban sprawl. Some people's preferences are to live in the suburbs, so it's not all about just living, you know, people just living in apartments, but increasingly, as I said before, people are preferring to live in apartments, and so from a government perspective, it also potentially saves them a lot of costs too. That's a a good answer. Um, Yes, I can see how it uh, could you know reduce the costs of transport, particularly if you look at some of the newer developments we've seen in Brisbane here in the last 20 years, where, for example, Springfield and the state government's gone and built a new rail line to service uh, Springfield, for example. So that's an example of those high costs. Stephen, what are the arrangements for uh, owning an apartment or townhouse? So that it's they are different from from a detached dwelling, aren't they? So there's a special type of title, strata title, and it's important for policymakers to be aware of the issues associated with strata title. Uh, different jurisdictions have, uh, you know, governed strata title with their own acts of parliament, and there are subtle differences across uh, jurisdictions, and the policy can really have an impact on the... Uh, you know, the experience of owners. It can, can really affect uh, those owners. And it's also important for owners to understand, you know, just what they're getting in for with strata title. So could you please explain what strata title is in contrast to the normal title, well, the title you'd have over a detached dwelling, a house, for example, and what are things to look out for with strata title? Yeah, sure, Gene. So uh, as most people will know, if you own a house, 
in the suburbs or in a town, you own the land and you also own the structure um, that's uh, built upon that land. In, in Strata, uh, if you own, you own an apartment um, along with, you know, the other 30 or 40 people in the building. So the, the scheme is registered as a community titles, uh, title scheme uh, with the uh, government. There's, there's a, what's called a community management statement and upon, on that statement will, out, will be, will be uh, detailed um, all the bylaws. It will, it will detail what every apartment's uh, lot entitlement is and, and that determines how much you pay in terms of body corporate levy. So the important thing is, is that your household budget, unlike a detached dwelling in the suburbs or in a town, is very much is often uh, very much dependent on what gets agreed to at general meetings and at committee meetings. And in most of the cases, it's just an ordinary resolution that needs to take place, which is 50% of the uh, owners need to agree. There's, there, there are some issues that, that have a higher threshold, but what the majority generally agrees to means that all of the owners in the building need to accept that decision and, importantly, uh, pay for those uh, decisions. Mm. Stephen, you mentioned the body corporate levies. What are the levies paying for? So these are levies that can amount to several thousands of dollars per annum for an apartment owner. What is that money being used for? Sure. So typically you, you have levies that are raised for the purposes of an administration uh, fund and a sinking fund. So what that basically means is the administration fund typically is there to cover all the expense, all the uh, recurrent um, expenses, um, you know, the day-to-day -day expenses like um, uh, electricity, uh, if the, if the uh, complex has got a pool, uh, running the pool, you know, chlorine, et cetera, et cetera. Those kind of things, cleaning, gardening, and if you've got an on-site manager, that would be paid out of that as well. The sinking fund is a capital expenses um, fund, and what that what's what that what is that what that's there for is um, is to replace uh, capital items, um, you know, to replace say the lifts every 25 years, they wear out, and other things that you know, painting of the building that might occur every 10 years or so. So. That's, that's, and of course, insurance. The entire building is, is insured by the body corporate. You will insure your items inside, your uh, contents. So typically, people have contents insurance, but the body corporate will take out insurance for the building. Levies can vary from building to building. If it's a small six-pack, and you know, it's say uh, it's you know they're all on the on the on on 
two levels, there's no lifts, there's no pool, there's no gym, there's no on-site manager in those type of, type of places. For a sort of 20, 10 to 20 year old apartment, sort of close to the CBD, you could be paying $3,000 a year for an average two bedroom apartment. In the, in the newer ones, in the large complexes where there's 100 or 200 or you know, sometimes even 300 apartments and there's an on-site manager, there's a lot of facilities, um, there's gym, there's a gym, there's sometimes saunas, there's all sorts of things. You, you can be looking at, well, for a, again, for a two-bedroom apartment, at least $5,000 a year and, and it can go up, it can, well, it can really go to over 10000 but probably between five and $7,000 a year I would suggest is, is probably what people would be looking to have to pay. On top of that, of course, you have your council rates and you have your water and sewerage. So, you know, there are some expenses there. But, of course, on the upside is that you've already paid for those potential expenses. So all of that is in the sinking fund. Mm. Whereas if you've got a, a, a house in the suburbs and you're your roof needs replacing or you have a plumbing issue like a major plumbing issue well you can be up for you know quite a few thousand dollars so that you probably that you may not have budgeted for so yes you are paying those body corporate levies a fair bit of that is sunk into a into a sinking fund and you may not realize the benefit of of those funds in the sinking fund in some cases there's millions of dollars in these things and but but the higher the sinking fund um, usually that's that's quite attractive for someone who's going to buy your apartment because you know they have the comfort of knowing that there's you know five hundred thousand or you know one point five million dollars in the sinking fund so if there are any uh, expenses that that come up they're all budgeted for of course sometimes you do get unexpected um, uh, expenses like the one down in uh, Sydney and I, I think all of the owners there are asked to pay a special levy of I think it was sixty thousand dollars each so you know potentially you can get that but you can get that kind of thing in a house as well so yes you certainly can the issue with apartments though is uh, it looks like it's difficult for purchasers to get that comfort about the the structural integrity of the building is that is that one of the issues i mean with a detached house it's a bit it's probably a bit more straightforward to determine whether it's structurally sound or not i mean if you're buying into a an apartment complex i mean are there potentially more issues to be concerned about than with a detached house is that is that one of the risks for someone moving into an apartment building oh look certainly i think what we've seen over the past year in sydney especially there is the potential especially in this building boom that we've had in the last you know, five or six or seven years. I think it's pretty well known that that uh, if if developers and and, and 
and builder, uh, builders and tradespeople um, are busy and they've got a lot of jobs on their books and they're really um, cracking the whip to try and get them all done, then potentially you may not always get the best quality. Now, your point about is it more difficult for potential owners to to spot issues in a in a you know in a fifteen to twenty story building? Yeah, absolutely. Most people tend to do strata searches, so you can you can engage uh, specialist companies who will go through the body corporate records, and go through the minutes, and and try to find where there's been issues there. This is this is for existing buildings. But, you know, sometimes body corporates may not, may not raise things at, at a meeting that go on the formal agenda. So you can't always be certain. I think with off-the-plan purchases, well, you really, you really don't know. Mm. Um, this is where you buy before the building's been constructed. Yes, yes. And, and, and so there are pluses and minuses about buying off the plan. I mean, obviously, you're getting a brand new building. You're the first one to live in your apartment. For some people, that, that's, that's um, uh, nice. And of course, you can, you can often, um, uh, you know, choose what fittings and what sort of carpet, etc. So, Obviously, no, normally the uh, developers give you some sort of choice. You know, do you want this package or this package? So there are, the, you know, there are some uh, some potential um, issues with with buying off the plan. But I guess people make their own um, mm-hmm. decisions, and and but certainly, I think what has been what has been um, highlighted in the past 12 months and of course must say that nearly every apartment that's built will have defects so it just depends on the magnitude of them especially whether they're structural you know some apartments that 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 you know may need to have a railing replaced etc that's probably that's they're sort of things that are pretty easily done it's where there's where there's where the structural integrity of the building as a question mark, that's where you're going to. That's where the big money is. So sometimes, again, they might those sort of things might not show for quite a number of years. So it's it's almost impossible to know whether you're when, whether you're either buying off the plan or whether you're buying you know a building that's two or three or five years old. The issues may not come up for a few years after that. Stephen, we've been talking mainly about uh, owner-occupiers, so we've been looking at apartments from the perspective of someone who's looking at it to live in. Now, we know that particularly many of these new high-rise buildings, a lot of the apartments are bought by investors, and in some buildings I've heard... 80% 80% of the apartments could be let out. What are the issues you you need to be aware of if uh, if you're an investor and you're buying into one of these apartment buildings? What are the, the issues you should be looking at? 
in, what would affect your your decision to invest and your likely returns from that? Okay, well, I mean, certainly in buying the apartment, you'd be you would still be looking for a lot of those things that I identified about um, does you know does the building have any any structural issues or any any other issues like that and and you know that are um, that are contained in the body corporate records I guess I guess in terms of uh, the investor you're looking mainly at the potential for capital appreciation so you want to buy an apartment or a townhouse in an area in a building where hopefully it's going to increase in value or at least hold its value um, in an economic downturn so a lot of people will will tend to invest in in apartments close to uh, transport close to transport hubs the second part of that is you you want to get an apartment in a building, uh, purchase an apartment in a building with low vacancy rates. Now, some of this stuff is is determined by the general uh, economic con- conditions, and it's also determined by um, the supply of apartments. But 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 generally, if you were an astute investor, um, you'd be looking at those two things, and you'd be looking at the and you'd be looking at the, uh, the the rental return that you're getting on your investment and factoring that in too. So I think in terms of uh, investors, those things are key. The other thing is, which which sort of which is around the vacancy rate, is that you don't want your apartment you know vacant. For more than a couple of weeks at a time so you know actually looking at what the vacancy rates are in that particular in uh, in that particular building prior to purchasing it will give you will give you a really good idea on that yeah could we just talk about the on-site manager so if you're buying into an apartment building you want to make sure you've got a good on-site manager I expect who's maintaining the the property and you want to make sure you've got one that uh, is uh, cost effective. I know you've written before and on my blog about this management rights arrangement we have in Queensland which appears to be inflating the cost of uh, of the uh, the on-site manager and that's that's increasing costs to apartment owners and then reducing their the returns on their investment. Could you just explain briefly, Stephen, what what management rights are in Queensland and whether, you know, do they make sense or, or is it this something peculiar to this state? The first point that I would make is on the positive side is that in my view, larger complexes do need or, or, or do benefit from on-site management. So in uh, Queensland, we have a management right structure whereby the, this is in basic terms, the developer of the building, so the, the company that builds, builds the apartment building, they will, 
they will sell the rights to manage that building to an on-site, to a uh, caretaking company, the caretaker as it's as they're called in the legislation, but more commonly referred to as the building manager or the resident, the resident manager or the on-site manager, they will typically live in the building. These management rights uh, contracts are between 10 and 25 years maximum. So the sort of worst case scenario, if I can use that term, is if you buy into an apartment building you could be saddled with a 25-year contract, which is very difficult to, to terminate. Um, it's near impossible. And what that means is, is that the, the on-site manager, there's two components to it. They, there's a, a caretaking component, so they're, they're paid a, uh, an amount that's often called a salary, every year and, and it, these contracts normally have a, um, a fixed increase in it so normally it, it's tied to a CPI but it can it, it can be something else so it increases each each year and the caretaker is, is to um, maintain the grounds do all the cleaning um, those kind of things and typically most of them will will do some of that but they will often subcontract a lot of that work out to specialist, um, you know, gardening um, firms. So they'll, they'll sort of have a local gardening firm come in and mow the lawns once a week and, and tend to the garden. They'll have another firm come in who will, a uh, cleaning company who will come in and, and, you know, vacuum each foyer floor and, and, and mop the main foyer and all those kind of things, clean the glass doors on, on, of, the, uh, of the building. And the on-site manager and the uh, caretaker will 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 also is is also supposed to do in many cases um, some minor uh, maintenance work. The other part of it is that they get a they also get the right to to do the letting in in the building. Investor owners can use an outside uh, real estate company, but they 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 mostly tend to go with the on-site manager. And I will make the make make the point that I also own an investment property in Brisbane, so so I probably should disclose that. And I have at some times gone with the on-site manager, and I've sometimes gone with the outside real estate agent, depending on who gives me the best deal. Um, most investors don't 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 go that far, and mm. and uh, um, uh, and a lot of on-site managers don't like you doing it, but I do it. And I'm pretty upfront about it. So, with the management rights, the the negatives to the body corporate there there are a few. Obviously, as I just said, you have you've got a you've got a 25 year caretaking contract locked in. The developer determines that from the start about what that amount is. The other thing is is that the body corporate can't it. It's very inflexible for the body corporate, so they can't, for example, go to the market every every you know twelve months or two years and see if there's a better cleaning company who can do things a bit cheaper, if it if it makes more sense to um, to change gardeners. All that's all that's locked in. And the other thing is is that 
these management rights are bought and sold by uh, brokers. There's quite a significant market for that. Um, these management rights are in, in, the, in the bigger buildings, you, you, you can be talking three to five, six million dollars. It's a little like, dare I say, it's a little like the taxi industry, whereby the, the, the Queensland government has set this thing up, like the taxi licences that are bought and sold. And in my view, while we definitely need on-site managers, I think at the very minimum, the uh, Queensland government should be looking at at changing the legislation to say that they that they can be a maximum of only say three to five years. Stephen, we've learned recently that Airbnb is looking to have an IPO. So Airbnb is this uh, you know sharing economy company, which uh, well we all know what it does. I mean it matches people with uh, people's uh, you know houses or apartments, and uh, you know. It's Potentially worth billions and billions of dollars, and it's provided a, a new income stream for homeowners and apartment owners. Now, this is fairly controversial, and we see that some body corporates are are trying to uh, limit the amount of Airbnb activity, and governments themselves are looking at it. Could you just give an overview of the pros and cons? from an economic and a social perspective, from economic and social perspectives of Airbnb? Well, as you say, it's very controversial. It's controversial generally in the, you know, uh, in the non-strata space, but when you're talking about strata, you're talking about apartments and, and apartment buildings, then there's there's extra complexity because strata buildings they all have bylaws and they all have a lot of different people a lot of different you know some people are in favor of airbnb and a lot of apartment owners are against it they feel that they don't want their apartment building turning into a hotel so I understand. I understand both both perspectives. That's why it's a difficult issue because I I myself haven't got a totally firm view on what the what the solution is. So but, you mentioned the solution. So what's the actual problem? So you see there is a problem with Airbnb to an extent. So in terms of what the problem is uh, around Airbnb, it depends who you are. I mean, if you're an owner and you live in an apartment building, you don't particularly want to let your second bedroom out, for example, you're you're probably not going to want uh, an Airbnb apartment next to you, whereby there can be a different person or a a different group of people living in there every night, potentially. And so a lot of people, as I said before, people are are making the move from detached dwellings into into these apartments 
and they still want the same sense of it being their home. They don't want to live in a hotel-like environment. So you've got that group of people. Then you've got the group of people who, yes, it's their home, but they actually wouldn't mind renting out the second bedroom. They've got a spare second bedroom. They, they wouldn't mind getting a bit more you know, uh, income. Um, and they see Airbnb as a good way of, of uh, supplementing their household budget. Then you've got the group of people who are investors and they want to rent, uh, let the whole apartment out. So instead of going through a real estate agent and doing a, a six or 12 months uh, traditional uh, lease, or going through the on-site manager, as I mentioned before, the on-site manager tends to let out uh, most of the apartments uh, in apartment buildings. Well, they're not happy either. Um, so their their peak body, which is uh, ARAMA, um, Australian Residential uh, Managers Association, I think I've forgotten an A there, and uh, they're not happy. So you've got you've got these different groups of of owners and then you have some other stakeholders now in queensland we have this uh have a uh, review um as i understand it's kept pretty quiet i haven't been able to find out a lot about it um uh it's a um industry um uh, stakeholder um, group or or something like that I haven't seen I haven't seen any outcomes of that and I suspect what Queensland might be doing they might be waiting to see what New South Wales does and at the moment New South Wales has a uh, consultation pro um, uh, consultation process on um, it's been going for a while there is a what you might call a um, a draft uh, proposal on which people uh, can comment now. I think it closes next month. I think um, submissions close next month. But the proposal down there is to is to break it up into um, into where the hosts, which is I guess in a sense is the apartment owner, if they're uh, present. So if they live there and they just want to rent the the uh, second bedroom, they they're going to that's going to be treated as uh, exempt development for 365 days a year. So so I think those people are going to be okay. It's it's where the host is not present, and then they've got these they've got these um, these criteria about if it if it's on bushfire prone land or if it's in a in a in a flood zone. And in the Greater Sydney area, the the proposal is that that it, it's uh, exempt development for 180 days, but in regional areas it's 365 days, except where a council varies this. So look, it's complex. <laughs> it's complex, and and I'm not not entirely sure if if that's the best solution, but. I do expect that Queensland is looking at what comes out of New South Wales because what I've just described may 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 not be 
what finally happens either. No. So you mentioned 180 exempt days. So that would mean you could rent out your apartment for 180 days via Airbnb, but you just can't rent it out more for more than 180 days a year. Is that is that what it's saying? That's what it seems to be saying, is that for six months of, of the uh, year, yes. you you can rent it out, and, and, and for the other six months of the year, you can't. Now, I mean, you know, that's... That's not going to solve. That to me is not going to solve any issues of um, parties next door. I must say that I haven't read the whole, all the documents and information in the New South Wales inquiry. So you know there could be some good reasons around this that I'm not aware of. But I think this highlights how complex. It is. It's complex in it's 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 far more complex in apartment buildings for those reasons that I said you've got you've got investors. Everyone everyone owns part of the building in a sense. And then you've got in these larger apartments you've got the on-site manager who, you know, they're not happy either. So you've got hotels, and of course I'm guessing that a lot of those aren't happy. Exactly. Stephen, as an apartment owner yourself, how have you decided whether to have a long-term tenant as opposed to letting out your apartment from time to time via Airbnb, recognising that at the daily rate you'd earn on Airbnb would be much higher than you'd earn with a long-term tenant? How do you make that decision? Do you see some some landlords... uh, some property owners, uh, they exclusively use Airbnb to let out their apartments? I did take a bit of a desktop look at this a couple of years ago, and it was when my apartment was vacant for... It had been vacant for, oh, look, I think at that point about five weeks. Now, it's, it's, it's four kilometres from, from uh, the city in uh, Brisbane, so it's... it's, it's it's right on the river. It's 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 a great spot. It's right near all the transport, but it it was a tough time of the year. It was just on Christmas, and 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 I took I took a look at this. I mean, you need to understand that your prospective Airbnb person or t- uh, tenant, you know, they need to come into the building. So if your building's a, a secure building, they, you have to have an a way for the proxy for the card to for the card swipe you've got to if they're staying for the night you you're going to have to change the sheets and and you know give the place a bit of a tidy up the next day if you've got another person coming that night i mean you know i mean uh you've you've got you've you've got you've got to you've got to you've got to wash you've got to do all sorts of things and then you've got the uncertainty about whether it is going to be it is going you are going to have someone in there for three or four nights a week at least. I do know a couple of people who actually Airbnb their apartment, but they've got the time to do that. So they do a lot of that themselves. You, there, are, there are companies around who will, I understand, I can't think of the name off the top of my head, um, who will do that, that, that kind of servicing for you. And, of course, you could engage someone yourself 
to, to there could be a cleaning company and you might say to them, can you clean, and but not just clean the place, can you also do the sheets? And, I mean, you might, you might have to... You might have to have, you know, four, five spare sets of sheets, so you're not you're not washing the the same one or two sets of sheets. The other thing, I in my case, you've got to you've got to you've got to fit the place, you've got to furnish the place, the whole lot. So there are again, you can get furniture packages. So just everything, plates, cutlery, absolutely everything. So. There's an up there's an upfront expense. I actually did ring up one or two companies. As I said, it was a couple of years ago now, so I don't have the figures in front of me. But it's it wasn't. It, it was a little bit more expensive than I than than I'd hoped. And I thought, look, the best way to do this is to actually just buy all that stuff yourself. Possibly, of course, this is not financial advice. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. But uh, but it's. A lot easier to say, I'll just Airbnb it, than, than the actual reality, the actual process of doing it. And in my case, I still have a mortgage, and so there was uncertainty around, you've still got to meet your mortgage payments, you know, every month. So there's, there was some, there's some uncertainty. So there were set-up costs, then you've got uncertainty, and then you've got, you've, got, you've got those little issues about how do they get in, who's going to have the key, whatever and I, I just determined for me as someone who works full time it was just all too difficult but I can see how it makes sense for some people absolutely well you've I've seen some of the numbers of regarding what people can earn from Airbnb and I know that Deloitte put out a report a few years ago just showing how much it contributes or how much additional income it adds to the uh, the Queensland economy uh, you know, we're talking millions and millions of dollars. Uh, I'm not sure of the exact figure. I'll put it in the show notes. Uh, but it, it's clearly uh, providing, you know, an additional income stream. Now, now I'm, I'm, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure it was a couple of hundred million dollars. Hundred, yes, that's correct. Yes, and, and, yes. And, and and some thousands of jobs. Yes, yes. In the state. Yes. So it's uh, you know it assists the tourism industry because it provides uh, you know. Uh, accommodation options that weren't previously there and I know Stephen and I actually uh, I actually used to live in the building that where Stephen owns an apartment and uh, the building that uh, that we're talking about that's become quite popular with Airbnb if I remember and so is that in on the park which is near there uh, at Tawong in Brisbane and uh, you just see that you know people you see people around that area you never would have seen before, and it's an alternative accommodate, you know, source of accommodation. So that's assisting tourism because it's providing places for people to stay. So I can see how it's definitely boosting tourism. I'm, I'm like, personally, I'm definitely for. I'm, I'm, I'm pro Airbnb. I was pro. I'm pro Uber. Right, but it requires a lot of, lot of policy work. A, a lot of understanding of the economic and social implications. It's difficult to get right. It's one of those things in in uh, policy they call it a wicked problem. Difficult, difficult to solve. Difficult to to get it right. And the best you can hope to do is to is to is to get it as right as you can. Yeah, Stephen. Just 
Finally, as economists, we tend to value being free to choose. We tend to value the freedom to make decisions, uh, to uh, choose what's best for us. I mean, one of the challenges with uh, with strata, with so if you you own a property in an apartment building, you you are subject to these bylaws, and these bylaws can restrict you from doing all sorts of things. And I know you've written in the past about pets and how bylaws can restrict you from having pets, in particular apartment buildings. I mean, what are your views on what's acceptable or what's in and what's out? I mean, in terms of the bylaws that that they can that body corporates can determine. Well, pets is is one of the is one of the issues in in apartments, rather like uh, parking and visitor car parks. It's one of those ones that people can get divided on. In regards to what you said about about where do you draw the line more generally, I think in my in my view, you should be allowed to either as an owner or as a as a renter. You should be allowed to do whatever you like within your apartment as long as it's A, lawful, and B, doesn't unreasonably disturb the peaceful enjoyment of other apartment dwellers around you. So in terms of, say, you know, some of these issues, I'll just go off, off, off track a little bit of, on the uh, pets... But smoking in apartments, for example, you know that that's you can get smoke drift and those kind of things. So, so it might be a good idea. It might be you know f- fine to smoke in your apartment, but not smoke on the balcony. In regards to pets, historically, uh, apartment buildings, well, many apartment buildings just had blanket bans on pets. You can't have a pet. That that has been that has been that has been um, uh, changing. And it's been changing generally because I think getting back to earlier in our chat about we've got a lot more single-person households. And, and so we are recognising now that pets also have an economic value. So in terms of people's mental health, um, in the case of dogs, people can walk walk dogs. It, 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 it gets people out. In fact... I did did some uh, did some work for the uh, Mars um, Keep Australia friendly pet friendly campaign a couple of years ago, and uh, actually got got to uh, present with Dr. Dr. Chris Brown at uh, Bondi Vet Bo- Bondi Vet, and uh, spent most of the of the day with him. But you know, in that campaign, we were asked to estimate the the uh, health budget savings and uh, we calculated a figure of uh, two billion dollars worth of uh, health budget savings um, due to pet ownership in Australia which was fairly consistent with with some uh, results that came out of the uh, UK could I just ask what is the mechanism there is that through the improved mental health mental well-being and we know that mental well-being that improves your overall health is that the mechanism there Stephen look it is the calculations were actually 
it's a little bit complex, but and I won't go uh, into that. But but it was actually it was actually done on on uh, doc, doctor visits. Okay. Right. So sometimes you would. So it was actually done. It was actually calculated on on uh, on some work um, that was done by a professor Bruce Heady, where where he had done a study on people who own pets that they go to they visit a doctor um, fewer times than uh, non-pet owners, and then you calculate the cost of a doctor visit. And sometimes doctors then refer you on and whatever. So, so the calculations were around doctor visits. So it's not necessarily just on uh, physical benefits, or you know, it's not just on physical or just on mental. It's it's the whole health benefit. So it's it's a bit involved, but the issue of allowing uh, pets in strata properties. By right, um, in another bit of work that I did, was this for uh, Mars as well? No, no. This uh, this was a uh, a public interest report. Okay. Um, that oh, I yes. did, mate. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think I wrote about this on your blog, perhaps four years ago. Yes, that's correct. Um, yes, yes. And um, I calculated that allowing uh, pets in strata properties was likely to result in uh, around a thousand new jobs in Queensland in the longer term and and, and of course these new jobs would be in um, uh, high skilled uh, employment areas such as vets pathologists radiologists you do have pet radiologists mm. um, and also in lower skilled a- uh, employment areas like in retail stores and and pet grooming and and dog walking and also would be right around the state including in um, high uh, youth unemployment areas like Townsville and Cairns. That simple act of allowing pets in apartments by right, obviously with some, you know, some bylaw restriction, not on that you can have them, but on, you know, on, say, you know, like you couldn't have, you know, 10, 10 dogs. So certainly there always needs to be some reasonable limitation around things but in terms of not allowing pets in apartments at all a cat that 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 provides comfort to an elderly uh, man or an elderly uh, lady living by themselves in in an apartment in a big apartment building perhaps not within many other um, uh, uh, family and uh, friends that cat can provide a lot of comfort to that person and there really isn't a rational argument against why that shouldn't shouldn't be the case of why they shouldn't yeah. have that i should ask why was mars interested in this report in the first place so mars is a confectionery company isn't it why why is mars interested in in pets so mars is a uh, in large international uh, company as you as you correctly say, it 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 has um, a big um, confectionery business, Mars bars, obviously. But a lot of people probably wouldn't know this. It actually has a big a big pet care division, I guess you might call it. They make Mars makes, well, let's say half the the products, or probably not half, but you know, a lot of the products that are on the shelves in 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 Coles and Woolies. 
Stephen, that's been really interesting and I really appreciate the briefing on apartments. You, we've talked a lot about the economics of apartment living. We've talked a lot about the pros and cons of different regulations and what we could do about Airbnb, whether it's desirable to do that, issues around pets. I think it's been a, a fascinating discussion and I really appreciate your time today. So thank you. Thank you, Jane.